Welcome back to the Upon This Rock podcast. My name is Max Thomas, and thanks for swinging on by. Um, I want to do another kind of reflection episode, um, something that came from my Substack feed. So I did one of these a little while ago on uh, Mary. And obviously this season uh, on the pod, we're walking through Ezra, Nehemiah, and um, provided a resource for that. And we've been walking through the whole book and making some observations and some reflections and things like that. Um, I also have a Substack feed I've mentioned a few times. And one of the things I do on there for paid subscribers is every weekend I write a, uh, a reflection on the lectionary readings for that Sunday. And um, a little while ago, uh, January 23rd, actually, so um, by the time you're probably hearing this, uh, two and a half, three months ago, something like that, um, the text that we are currently on here in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 8, uh, was one of the Old Testament, was the Old Testament reading uh, in the lectionary. And uh, the reflection that I did uh, and wrote for my Substack feed, uh, the Nehemiah text was kind of the the starting point for uh, the rest of my reflection. And so I wanted to kind of take that reflection and bring it here uh, onto the podcast uh, for two reasons. One, it's relevant, obviously, to what we're talking about in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, and two, just as another way to uh, kind of bring you guys into what I'm doing on on the Substack feed as well, and then uh, three, uh, I just I think uh, doing reflections like this is one of the best ways that I've been able to train my own eye and ear in the Scripture for making connections. Is uh, just taking a set of texts that are already given to me, and I think the lectionary is probably the best way to do it. And I I always I sit down on the weekend, and I read all four of them, one right after the other, um, and I start just, what are the common themes, what are the common words, what are the common phrases, what are the common ideas that are trying to run through all of these, and then how can I maybe tie them together, and it's, I try not, obviously, try not to force it or anything like that, um, but it's been a really great thing that I've been doing for, for some time now, and uh, that was kind of the impetus for starting it. Uh, on the, the, the Substack feed. And so I, I wanted to do uh, bring bring the the Nehemiah 8 reading and, and reflection uh, to uh, to the podcast feed here. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, let's hop in and uh, do some theological reflection on, uh, on Nehemiah 8. Every Sunday, the lectionary gives, if you're not familiar with how these work, I, I wasn't for a long, long time, uh, it gives four texts. There's an Old Testament text, a New Testament text, a psalm, and a gospel. And so uh, the Old Testament is Ezra 8, 2 through 10. The psalm is Psalm 113. The New Testament is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. And the gospel is Luke 4, 14 through 21. You can write those down or you just go, you Google it uh, and it would it would come right up. And again, I'm using the, the Book of Common Prayer. There's a few different lectionaries out there. So um, the Book of Common Prayer is what I use and that's what th- those readings are, are based on. 
So I, I, I want to begin uh, the reflection with the, the story in, in Nehemiah 8. Uh, now, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they draw heavily on the story of the Exodus. The authors are constantly framing the remnants return to the land as a new Exodus or a second Exodus, and they get that largely from the prophets. And reading along those lines, this scene in Nehemiah 8, it echoes Sinai, where God comes down upon the high place, the mountain, and speaks his covenant words to Moses. Moses then takes the word of the covenant and recounts them to the people, writes them down, and then he reads the book again in the hearing of the whole nation. And that's uh, Exodus 24, 3-7 is, is where that takes place. And when he finishes reading, the people commit to obey all of the words which he had spoken to them. And immediately after this, Moses brings the 70 elders of Israel up on the mountain with him in what, what I think is one of the most jaw-dropping, uh, jaw-dropping scenes in all of Scripture. Exodus tells us that Moses and the elders, they saw God, the God of Israel, and they ate and drank. And it gives a brief description of that scene, too. And it just is, I mean, it's just otherworldly. I, I don't know how to even describe what that would be like. But they saw the God of Israel, and they ate and they drank. Now, in the Nehemiah story, which is our reading for this week, well, for that week in January 23rd, uh, the same book of the covenant is being read, the Law of Moses. And while it's being read, the people begin to weep, presumably, presumably under the sense of conviction and some kind of judgment upon themselves, that they're being convicted of their sin. And up to this point, the, the text speaks of the people in glowing terms, if you read uh, just the verses and the paragraphs before this. It says that they have understanding, uh, that they're being taught even more understanding, that they're bowing down before God, they're worshiping God, they're responding in repentance and trust. And yet, when they respond in weeping and repentance, it says the leaders put a stop to the whole service, and they tell the people to wipe away their tears, to go home, to eat and drink, and to give to those who are in need. Now, that may seem strange um, to us, that response by the leaders. On, on the surface, um, it may just seem completely strange to us. Why would you stop people from repenting and weeping? and prostrating themselves before God under the conviction of sin. I mean, shoot, in our church services, that would be, you know, a highlight service of a year. But when I think we read in light of Exodus 24, um, when God's word was given and, and given to Moses and then read, and then he invited the elders to eat and drink, it makes more sense. I think... This is what is going on and why the leaders in Nehemiah's day put a stop to it. And this is at the first point of reflection that I want to make. That when the God of Israel speaks, his words are always an invitation to his table. There are times to fast and to weep and to mourn, but those are never ends unto themselves. But the doorway 
into the flowing wine of a joyful feast. Fasting is nothing more than our foregoing God's feast to share our food with those who should be at the table next to us but aren't. We are called to weep only because our brother and sister is still outside while the party has begun. Think Luke 15. God's words are always festive, like the best wine being saved for last. And this is what the people didn't understand at first. They understood what Moses said, but they didn't yet know the deeper truth to which all the words were pointing, that God is a joyful father with a table full of food and wine, and that we are invited to sit and dine with him. And so we mourn like they, but only unto joy, specifically the joy of others. And we fast, but only to share the festive blessings we have partaken with all of our hungry neighbors. As the prophet Isaiah says, is this not the fast that I've chosen? And that brings us to 1 Corinthians 12. Underneath everything that Paul says about the gifts in this passage and the chapters that follow is the plea that we would recognize that we have been made one in Christ, that there is one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one Lord, one Father of us all, and that all the different gifts and talents and callings are meant to be used to feed our brother and sister sitting next to us at the table of God. That our particular function in the body is simply one of the ways, sometimes the main way, in which we take the chalice of the wine of God's Spirit and help our thirsty brother and sister take a drink. And it's only when we submit ourselves to the person next to us and allow them to give us a drink of that same Spirit that we are functioning as the body of Christ. This mutual submission to each other is actually how Christ turns water into wine. It's the same Christ who submitted to his mother in Canaan of Galilee that now serves us the bread of his body and the wine of his blood and the Spirit at the feast of God. And we can participate now in that divine life when we learn to submit ourselves to each other as different members of Christ's one single body. Christ's body is both the bread that we eat and the thing that we are because we feast in God's kingdom by giving ourselves away for the benefit of our neighbor just as he did. And we participate in that, uh, when we participate in that submitting, we become the bread of Christ's body given to each other so that we feast on God's goodness in and through each other. And both the psalm and the gospel reading mention that God's kingdom is good news for the poor, the oppressed, and the suffering. But what is this good news for them? It is a place at the kingly feast of God and a room in the home of our Heavenly Father. What Moses and the elders saw on the mountain, a sapphire sea of glass under Yahweh's feet, comes to fruition in Christ who washes our feet in a servant's basin of tap water. The meal they eat and the wine they drank when God with God on the mountain now 
has become the very body and blood of Christ so that now we can eat of him and thereby, thereby become his body and the place where he dwells on earth. And the book of the law, which Nehemiah read, has now been closed by the ultimate and final word of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that all these words have been fulfilled in our hearing. And that's the reflection I, I wrote on the Substack feed. But I want to make, want to make one or two final comments specifically in connecting the, the Exodus story and Nehemiah, since we're in the book of Nehemiah. It is a strange scene, but I do think that Exodus eating and drinking is what is behind it, that they saw the God of Israel and they ate and they drank. And there is theology of food, of feasts, all throughout the Bible. Um, all the way from Adam and Eve tending and keeping the garden uh, to the prophets, to the Psalms. I'm thinking of prophets like Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 25, that will eat and drink on the mountain, uh, fatty meats and wine and all of this kind of stuff, all the way through Cana of Galilee, which I mentioned, all the way through the book of Revelation. And then obviously we see Jesus constantly sitting and eating, and then ultimately at the Last Supper. But when Nehemiah and the elders, when they, they stop them, I don't think we're meant to read that as, um, how, do I, how do I want to say, as a, a rebuke in the sense that they were doing something wrong. I mean, it is, it was wrong in the sense that they, they, they directed them to do something else. But listen, coming under the conviction of sin and repenting is, I don't think is ever really a, a bad thing. What I think they are pointing us to is that there is a deeper. So I, I don't want to use right and wrong, really. What I want to use is, is a deeper. There is a deeper truth. There is a, a deeper way, and that is when we see, it, and, and I think the, the Isaiah text that I mentioned is key to this, Isaiah 58, that fasting is the, is the way and the time and the mode in which we forego the feast for ourselves in order to feed our hungry brother. And that's exactly what Nehemiah told them to do, go home have a feast, eat and drink, and then give food and drink to those who do not have. Because that is the proper response. And when we read the, the Exodus story, that is the thing that they did not do. They, When they came down from the mountain, they did feast, but they feasted with a golden calf. So they, fe they first eat and drink with God, and then Moses stays on the mountain and receives the law, the Ten Commandments. And when he when he comes back down, they have made a golden calf and they are feasting with the idol. They are eating and drinking with the idol rather than the one true living God. And so Nehemiah, I think, is is trying to replay that in a sense. 
and correct it. And so I want you to go and eat and drink, but then I want you to share your meal with your neighbor in need rather than continuing to consume in self-indulgence. I want you like the, the children of Israel did at the base of the mountain. I want you to go feed your brother and your sister. And so it is with Christ that we, we now feed on Christ and our fasting is nothing more than a life where we embrace hunger for the sake of feeding our neighbor. And even when we actually, when we fast food, it is just a way to get in touch with that reality, to say no to our own needs and comforts and our own even uh, you know, bodily necessities in order that we may come to understand our need for God and in order to come to understand our neighbor's need for God, that we may then become the body and blood, uh, not body and blood, but that we may become the body of Christ to them. Um, uh, Glenn Packiam, pastor in Colorado Springs, has this great book called Blessed, Broken, and Given, where he makes this observation that in Luke's gospel, Jesus, whenever he's at a table, he takes bread, he blesses it, breaks it and gives it. And his book is essentially saying that this was modeled by Christ, that he was the blessed one who was broken and then given for the world. And what it means to be the church is to also receive his blessing and then to be the bread broken for the sake of the world. We ourselves become broken bread. And then we become the bread that is given out to the world, that we become the body of Christ that is given to the world that they may eat. And so in that way, that is, I think, the, the same message, the essence of fasting, is the forgoing of our own to feed our brother and our sister. And this is, I think, what is behind the Nehemiah, the Nehemiah text, is that, that Exodus story. So I'd encourage you to go and read those two stories, uh, Nehemiah 8 and Exodus 24 and following. And, uh, and I think there's probably even some more stuff there and how we can how we can live that out in our own lives. So so with that, I'll stop there. I hope you enjoyed uh, that reflection. And uh, we'll finish up our Ezra and Nehemiah series here in uh, just the next probably one or two episodes. And I uh, hope you've enjoyed that. And keep looking for some more reflections on this feed as well. And if you would like to subscribe to my Substack feed where I do more reflections like this and other stuff, uh, you can find that link in the description below as well. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.